All right, what is up, gang? This is your boy Mel, aka Naldo Formula One, and you are now tuned into the Naldo F1 podcast. This is episode 22, man. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Welcome. If this is your first time listening, go ahead and just pause the episode after I finish what I'm about to say. Go ahead and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, follow or subscribe to the show on whatever audio platform you're listening to. And leave me a like, comment, leave me a review, man. I don't know if I mentioned that one in the last one, but yeah, go ahead and leave me a review, preferably five stars. I'd appreciate it very much if you guys left a five-star review. That gets the algorithms working. You know, all of that Generation X, Generation Z, good social media nonsense. I need all of that. So run that. Let's run these numbers up, man. Get these subscribers up. Get this show moving, man. There's not too many out here that look like me that's doing what I do. So I appreciate all the support that I've gotten so far. And I appreciate all the support that's here for, coming in the future. And so, yeah, let's go ahead and get into the show now that we've done all of the housekeeping. Um, so the biggest news of the last week was that Gunther Steiner, head man at Haas F1 team, has been let go. So... If you guys aren't familiar with who Gunther is, as Haas is a back marker, to say the least, or at least they have been for most of their history in F1. Gunther is the team principal of the Haas F1 team, and he was a huge hit with fans. He's probably one of the most liked and well-known team principals from fans. Most of these guys are, are kind of just, I won't say they're just faces because obviously they do a lot of work and their sole responsibility is the success of the team, but for the most part, these guys' names aren't well known except for the top guys like uh, Christian Horner and Toto Wolf. And then you have Gunther Steiner, who has been the boss of, for the most part, a backmarker team, but he shined in the Drive to Survive series with his antics and just <laughs> the accent and the way he speaks. And of course, like the Kevin doesn't fuck smash my door and we look like a bunch of fucking wankers and his phone calls with Gene Haas and just a bunch of hilariousness, man. Like he's, he's a caricature almost. And he's just one of the most entertaining personalities on the grid. I would say probably the second most entertaining personality on the grid behind one Daniel Ricardo, obviously who we're happy to have back on the grid. And I'm sure Netflix are happy to have back behind the camera or in front of the camera, depending on what perspective you're looking at. But yeah, Gunther has been let go by Haas. Uh, needless to say, they did not perform up to the expectations of owner Gene Haas. And the blame is honestly to be put all around the board. Like Gene himself, he... One thing that really bugs me about Gene, I think, is just the fact that he comes off as a Jerry Jones-type figure for my Cowboys and football fans out there in the fact that Gene wants to have his hands on the team at all times. And I think one quality of a really good leader is being able to delegate and being able to trust the people that you put in positions of power to be able to do the jobs that you hired them to do. So if you're hiring Gunther and you're trusting him to run your F1 team for you, then just do that. Trust him to run the F1 team and basically allow him the freedom to be able to make the decisions without having to be on a phone call after every single race or like 
not that he shouldn't attend every race because obviously that's well within his right to attend every race. And obviously I'm not saying that he shouldn't be involved whatsoever and just be sort of an angel, angel investor or a pocketbook because a small team like Haas doesn't have the deep pockets where he can just write a check and just mail it and phone it in and doesn't have to really be worried about the operations of the team. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that he just needs to take his hands off of the wheel a little bit and not be so involved in the everyday proceedings of what goes on at the Haas team, especially when there's a bunch of other things that Haas are involved in. I mean, they found success in NASCAR in the past, which is partially what got him involved in F1 in the first place. And it's a whole other automation company, like separate from racing. So he's the head of all of that stuff. So you would think he has bigger fish to fry than to be worried about what Gunther is doing after every single race. So that's just all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying is that Gene needs to take his hands off of the wheel a little bit with this new coming, new incoming team principal and just allow him the freedom to be able to develop the team as he sees fits because he is a reflection of you. The people that you put in power are reflections of who you are as a leader. So just allow him the freedom. And I'm not saying his name just because I can't remember it off the top of my head. He's been in the team for a while. Um, I actually will look that up while we're speaking. But, yeah, just allow the people that you put in positions of power to actually do that. And so I don't really know what's next for um, – for Gunther, especially just because a big part of his his value was um, being the star and the personality that he is. And I think he brought a lot of attention to Haas in that way, attention that I don't think that they're going to get moving forward. Now, they could make up for that with the performance on track, and hopefully that's the case and that we see Haas step up in their performance division and – really get to developing the car and not be so tough on tires. That was our biggest downfall from this past couple of seasons, these new regs, is that the car was quick. They've qualified really well, especially in the hands of, um, Jesus, Nico, Nico Hulkenberg, um, especially in the hands of him. The car has been quick at times, and they've even made a couple of Q3 appearances in qualifying, but... As far as like the race pace, the car is just way too hard on its tires, and they're not able to maintain that pace throughout the course of an entire race. So uh, his name is Ayo Komatsu. I'm sorry if I butchered that. It's A-Y-A-O. I'm not familiar. I believe he's Japanese, but um, he's been in the Haas team for a while working underneath Gunther. And so he is the next man in charge, and hopefully that means good things for Haas. And I believe that he does have, like, the technical knowledge and ability and skills to be able to develop a pretty quick car. But we'll see, you know, with um, funding is always going to be an issue for Haas. They need sponsorship, and they need bigger sponsorship, and they had MoneyGram coming in. But, you know, that doesn't always necessarily – bring in the level that a Mercedes or a Ferrari or a Red Bull or a McLaren are able to pull in with these big manufacturers or these super historic teams like McLaren and Ferrari who have accomplished everything there is to accomplish in the sport over their history over the last 75 years or so. Um, other big news is uh, McLaren shock dropped their livery, which 
I think sent the F1 world into a very small, very non-consequential frenzy, basically, because most of the F1 teams drop their liveries in February, right around Valentine's Day. They're usually all within a week of each other. Like from the 10th of February to about the 17th is usually when everybody drops their liveries, right before testing happens. And we don't normally see a mid-January livery drop, but I think that it was a really smart play from McLaren because exactly what I just said, nobody is really dropping their liveries. And so for McLaren to come out of nowhere and just kind of shock drop it and uh, flash release their livery, I think was super smart because it's all eyes on them. And I got to say, the car looks good. I like the fact that they're leaning into the orange a lot. Like that's become their signature color. Obviously, they've been running the orange for years. I think what since the turbo hybrid era even began, I think since like 2012 or 2013, they've been running the orange. And um just lost my train of thought. Uh, I'm like the fact that they've leaned into it. They've X'd out the blue now that golf has gone and moved on to uh, Williams racing. And they've really leaned into the orange and black as like their signature color. Now, everybody kind of been complaining online about the fact that the livery is mostly exposed carbon. And that is the case due to the fact that they're trying to cut weight on the cars. And people are saying that the regulations need to be adjusted to force teams to paint the entire car and this, that, and the third. And while I can understand that point of view, I think really what it comes down to is, is the car fast and are we going to get good racing? I wouldn't give a shit if all of the cars were exposed carbon fully and all we could tell the difference of is by sponsors and driver's helmets or a little sticker on top or whatever. If the racing was good, that's all that really matters to me. Now, obviously, that's I'm being a little overdramatic and I don't want to see that. The liveries are a huge part of the appeal of racing and the history of racing in general. But, I mean, it, it, it's a very distinctive look. And I think that they're starting to dial it in and really refine their McLaren signature look. And I think that's one thing that's been missing from F1 as a whole is a, is a signature look. I mean, Red Bull has it and Ferrari with their red, even though... It's kind of been very different over the years. I think that there's something to say about consistency and having that signature look. Like when you think about all the iconic F1 cars in the past, like the Ayrton Senna, Alan Prost, McLarens, or the uh, Michael Schumacher Ferraris, or even the West McLarens of the um, Mika Hakkinen days, like all of these iconic liveries of the past, uh, the... Um, the Camel livery, Williams livery, uh, the BMW Sauber livery. It was a signature look, and it basically stayed the same for years on end. And I think that McLaren are reaching that point again where they're starting to refine their new modern look, but keeping it consistent over the years. And it's I feel like it's gotten better and better for the most part each year. I wasn't a huge fan of like their 2021 and 2022 liveries just because – even their 2023 livery is a little weird. The blue didn't really fit. It felt really like splotchy and like ang it's overly angular. Like F1 cars are not super angular. They're very flowing and like curvy and sexy. But 
their livery didn't really accentuate that. It made it like very trapezoidy and like diamonds and just very hard lines to contrast the curvy nature of especially the new regulations are very curvy cars and it just didn't really fit and it kind of was a little bit jarring but i think that the new look is really starting to accentuate the car and make it look a lot better and i think the orange and the black of the carbon just look really good together so i'm happy with the the delivery and i think they've stepped the bar up a lot and i think watch teams next year will probably follow suit in this shock drop trend and not announcing their release date of the car instead just saying just drop the mic hey here's our uh, our new livery now obviously we can't really tell anything about what the car is because a lot of people like to do that they inspect the cars based on the livery drops and a lot of these are just press cars and or they're last year's cars with no updates because the teams don't want to give away too much right now as far as what updates they've brought in and what design choices they've gone with for this coming up season so we haven't really there's not too much to tell it looks very similar to last year's car which is not unexpected and not saying that there that this isn't an indication of what this car's year or what this year's car is going to look like but i don't think that we're there's too much to read into it and especially because it's rendered photos it's not like the actual car on track and stuff like that so we'll just have to wait and see and like i said there's really not going to be any way to tell the performance of who until we get to qualifying in Bahrain because teams will sandbag up until that point especially if they believe they have pace but speaking of liveries and sponsorships and stuff like that I kind of wanted to take a different approach to today's episode and talk a little bit about like my favorite sponsors because sponsors are such a big part of F1 they bring the team's money they bring them technical resources they bring them equipment um clothing fashion they help develop the car like all kind of stuff so teams will if you look on a team's website they call them partners for a reason like they're not necessarily sponsors it's not just a give we give you money you slap a logo on the car and that's it like these do end up becoming in most cases technical sponsorships and partnerships and so i kind of wanted to go down the line and like list off my favorite sponsors for varying reasons, I might just personally like the company or I like the way their logo fits on the car and where it's placed on the car and that sort of thing. But yeah, I think that would be pretty interesting because these these teams are promoting all different types of companies from all different aspects and industries and sectors of business. And it's really cool to see how these teams can integrate this as part of their daily operations and as a part of the cars because... If we took all the sponsors off the cars, the livery wouldn't really hit the same. Like you've seen cars with little to no sponsorship, like the McLarens of the past, that just didn't look good. The livery could be look as great as you wanted to, and you could design the most amazing livery ever. If there's no sponsors on the car, it just feels empty and like barren. So with that being said, uh, let's go ahead and kick this off. I kind of go from back to front um, as far as teams on the grid because the lower level teams don't really have the big name sponsors or the companies that you would recognize. Um, and if they do, they're not a majority partner. They're more of a minority. So they may get to like a small logo slapped on like the, the bottom of the, 
the siding or the side underneath the side pod or on small on the the front wing winglet or end plate that sort of thing or on the top of like the halo or whatever inside the halo stuff like that those are like the minority partnerships the big ones are on like the back of the rear wing the front of the front wing like obviously the usually the title sponsor goes on the side pod and it my choices are very random like it's not all title sponsors uh, some of them are just for the iconic partnership and you'll kind of see what I mean when I get into it so let's go ahead and get started um so we'll start with Alpha Tauri or Racing Bulls as I'll I believe they're going to be called in the future pause for that for a second we're going to go off on a tangent real quick um about Alpha Tauri slash Racing Bulls I really hope that the name is not Racing Bulls because I just one it just doesn't sound good like it sounds weird racing bulls that sounds fucking stupid i'm sorry it sounds like like a five-year-old came up with like if you told a five-year-old to make a racing team name it's like oh racing bulls like that sounds it just sounds dumb it doesn't it doesn't have a flow like alpha towery sounds cool i don't know what the hell it means but it sounds cool nonetheless but um we did hear Zach Brown mentioning that he has a, in so many words, that he has a problem with like teams having feeder teams in the same sport. So, and I mean, nobody else has this except Red Bull because Alpha Towery slash Racing Bulls is a direct feeder into Red Bull. I mean, they've verbatim come out and said that we bring young drivers into Alpha Towery slash Toro Rosso slash racing bulls and we try to assess if they're good enough to be an f1 and it's, it's, something is just fishy about that it didn't we can't prove that they've done anything wrong yet and nobody really has proof of any wrongdoing so it's not really anything that anybody can do about it but you just know that it just it it feels weird like whenever you think about it in that concept it feels weird it would be like the Cowboys, for example, saying, oh, we're going to create a new NFL team just to develop our young players. And they're going to feed directly into the Cowboys. So the ones that are good enough get fed directly into the Cowboys 52-man roster and the ones that aren't get cut. And it's like, and nobody else in the league has that, like, that resource. So, yeah, everybody would be looking like, mm, I don't really know how I feel about that. But that was my tangent. Uh, let's get back to the original point, the sponsorships. Um, first sponsor up for Alpha Tauri is Orlin. And don't ask me what Orlin does. I think they have a pretty cool logo. It looks cool on the car. They've bounced around from a couple of different teams. They were with Alfa Romeo Sauber uh, last year, and last year being 2022, I guess. And they went to Alpha Tauri this season. Cool logo. That's it. I ain't gonna spend too much time on that. Number two is the actually Alpha Tauri. So Alpha Tauri is a fashion brand, um, and they make some pretty cool stuff, some pretty stylish things. It's expensive as shit, and I don't really understand why. I guess they're like a really high fashion brand, but yeah. Other than that, like I just think that it's kind of cool for your team to actually be a whole brand in and of itself. Like I'm a big merch person. I appreciate anybody that's putting out high quality merch, even if I don't buy it necessarily, but 
yeah, I think that that's just a cool concept in itself. And number one, Honda. Honda's iconic in racing. Like you see that H, like like the old McLarens of the Senna and Prost days. You see that Honda in the middle of the steering wheel and on the actual car livery itself. It looks great. And Alpha Tower, you have implemented like the red Honda, which I think looks even cooler. Um, it's just iconic, like for no other reason than it's iconic. And Honda has produced some of the best racing cars in motorsports history, not just in F1. So they're my number one for Alpha Tauri. Moving on to Haas, uh, number three, Chipotle, for literally no other reason, just the fact that I fuck with Chipotle sometimes. Like, past couple of times, it ain't really hit the same and left me feeling not the best. I'll just spare you guys the details, but yeah, left me feeling not the best, but I still rock with Chipotle, and I think it's cool. You don't really see too many food sponsors in F1, especially restaurants like that, so I think that it's cool that Haas have brought on Chipotle. I don't know if their logo is actually going to make the car or not, but it would be kind of cool if it did. Uh, Number two, Palm Angels. So I like Palm Angels as a brand. I like some of their clothes. Um, I like their designs for the most part, and I just think that it looks cool on the on the on the car, and it's a very young. It's it appeals to the young people basically. Like it's a brand that young people can associate with. It looks cool integrated on the car. Now, I wish what would be really cool is that if they did a collab and like actually put out like some dope merch or some dope pieces from palm angels and now they probably could have or if perfect idea let palm angels design like the team kit that's the race suits for the us gp or one of them one of the three of them that would be a great idea um i'm just out here giving intellectual property out here and just dropping jewels on them so if Hass sees this and they do that just know you heard it here first but it would be really cool to see palm angels like design a race suit for Hass for one of the USGPs. But yeah, no other reason that I fuck with Palm Angels and I think it's a cool brand. And uh number one is Alpine Stars and it's just a classic race motorsport off-road brand. It's an iconic logo. Like you know that logo when you see it and you know it associates with anything to do with a motor. So that's really it. There's no other reason other than that. And I was kind of spread thin they didn't really have much partners no shade but i it was slim pickings let's just say trying to find my favorites for these lower level teams uh but yeah i, I rock with alpine stars as a brand uh moving on to alfa romeo or formerly alfa romeo sauber i think they're kick sauber or steak i think they're steak f1 team steak being like the brand not the food steak, even though I've seen memes of <laughs> steak F1 team and somebody like rendered an entire like steak livery on an F1 car, which you guys have way too much time on your hands to be designing shit like that. But it was funny nonetheless. And so number three, it is Singa, Singa, S-I-N-G-H-A. Uh, I believe it's a Chinese company. I believe they came along with uh, Zhou Guan Yu as a partner sponsor brought he brought them in um, have no clue what they do I think they have a cool logo 
that's it. Uh, Sauber was one of the ones that was really tough. I guess Alfa Romeo would have been my choice, but Alfa Romeo is no longer associated with Sauber, so they kind of took that away. And I'm kind of sad because Alfa Romeo brought some of the best liveries that we've seen on the grid in a while, and I think that they were always beautifully designed. May have been slow, may have been a tractor, but they look good doing it. As number two would be Acceleron. Again, no clue what they do. Cool logo. That's it. And Stake. Stake, S-T-A-K-E. They are a sports betting company, I believe. Um, they're in the gambling industry. Not a huge sports better myself, but it's taken over the industry. And honestly, I just didn't know what else to pick. So... Yeah, that's that on on Sauber. Uh, this is when they start getting good moving forward. I think I actually have pretty good backing behind why I chose the ones moving forward. So the next seven are actually more of a personal connection or that there's a reason why I picked them as part of the sponsor. Uh, we're moving on to Williams Racing. And Williams, a legendary team, a lot of history, not where they used to be, but looking to move forward. Uh, number three, I have Puma. And Puma's a brand that I kind of really have taken a liking to in recent years. Like, I like a lot of their designs. A lot of their sneakers are classic. Um, and they have a lot of history in motorsport as well. They've partnered with pretty much every big ma uh, major motorsports brand out there across the board, not even just in F1, they Porsche, Ferrari. Um, yeah, it, it just, the list goes on. And again, it was it was pretty slim pickings with Williams because they just don't have the backing and the, the partnerships and sponsorships that you would want from a high-level team. But overall, I think that I just enjoy Puma as a brand. So I kind of think fitting them into that, that three spot was perfect. Uh, number two, this one is one of my favorites on the whole grid, is Duracell for Williams. And for no other reason other than the fact that how they integrated Duracell into the car. So it's on the airbox on the top, and it they made designed it to look like a Duracell battery. And I just think that shit is cool as hell. And I think it's one of the most well-integrated sponsors into a car that I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, it's just chef's kiss. It's it's perfect. And number one is Gulf. Gulf is a oil company and an iconic one. And they are just, their history in motorsport is extensive. I think between them and Martini, they're probably the two most iconic sponsors of motorsport in the entire world and the entire history of racing. So now that they're partnered with Williams and their golf liveries are just immaculate. They've never missed their, when they were with McLaren at Monaco, their golf livery didn't miss. And now in 2023 with their Williams golf livery, it didn't miss either. Like golf has just never missed with any of their partnerships and design and delivery choices with their cars. I mean, the golf, uh, four GTs, were crazy the new one and the old one it just 
the list goes on. Gulf Porsches look crazy. Like it's just a beautiful color combination. That bright baby blue with the orange. It just, yeah, it looks nice. All right, moving on to Alpine F1 team. Uh, number three, I have Bell & Ross. Bell & Ross is a French watchmaker. Uh, they make really cool watches. I remember I got an ad for them one time on, on I think it was Instagram, and I didn't really know too much about watches back then. I'm trying to get more into it now. Uh, I think in the future, I do see myself investing uh, some money in watches and buying some nice timepieces and things of that sort, but... I got an ad for them, and I was like, oh, that's a pretty cool watch. Their designs are a little funky, and they're not for everybody, but I think they have some pieces that I really, really like. And I remember I was like, oh, that's a cool-looking watch. And I, I was looking to maybe buy like a little starter watch or whatever, and I'm like going on, clicking on the page, and I'm like, okay, man, I've seen these ads a couple of times, and I click like Shop Now or whatever, and it pulls up, and this fucking watch was like 11000 <laughs> This watch was like eleven thousand dollars, and I I never exited a page so quick in my entire life, and yeah, so I'm clearly not in that tax bracket yet. But yeah, I, I rock with Bell and Ross as a brand, and I think that they're one of the cooler sponsors. I don't think that their logo or anything is on the car, but I know that they have a partnership with F1. I mean, or with Alpine. Uh, we've seen Esteban Ocon and and Pierre Gasly in interviews wearing the watches. And if you know anything about motorsports or sponsorship, you don't do nothing for free. So, yeah, shout-out to Bell & Ross, man. Number two would be Qatar Airways. And for no other reason other than the fact that Qatar Airways is a dope, dope, dope airline. And they have some of the nicest planes. Their first class is crazy. I mean, those are the ones with the pods and, yeah, I ain't been on there before, but hopefully in the future I get a chance. And But from all the things I've seen, they said the experience was great. And they would do it again 10 times out of 10. Number one is BWT, and they are a water company. And I picked them solely based off the fact that they are unwavering in their dedication to Pink. Pink is like part of their brand, and any company or team that they've partnered with in the past whether that be the force india transitioning to aston martin team or now alpine f1 like they have to have pink on the car like at some in some capacity and it's usually a lot of it or if you're not running an entirely pink livery i mean the force india days they were running whole pink liveries and alpine have the past couple of years ran a pink livery at the beginning of the season as a homage to their title sponsor. So, yeah, shout out to BWT, man. I like people who stand on their square. <laughs> and BWT does that with their pink. They are going to stand on that, that pink square. Moving on to Aston Martin. And Aston Martin has a few of my favorite sponsors. Uh, number three being Valvoline, um, the oil slash car lubrication company uh, i just think they have a nice logo and it fits in to the car very well it's a little bit jarring with the colors and they're non-wavering in that red and blue as well like so it's a little bit jarring on a green car but i feel like this is an unpopular opinion but i like 
a little bit of contrast on the car. So even if this color doesn't fit within the team's color scheme, I don't like it to be too matchy-matchy. I like a little bit of that contrast, like um, Castrol in Alpine. I don't know if they still sponsor Alpine, but Castrol would come with like that green, and it would be a little bit jarring, but it just it kind of worked in a way. And I have the same feeling about Valvoline with Aston Martin. Aston Martin's green is absolutely gorgeous. One of my favorite shades of green of all time. And I just think that their logo fits in really nice and integrates really nice. Um, number two would be TikTok. Uh, for no other reason than the fact that I'm addicted to TikTok and I find myself doom scrolling way more than I'd like to admit. So shout out to TikTok for that. And I post content on TikTok. So yeah, shout out to them for that. Number one is Hugo Boss. And this one is really cool because when I went to Coda for the Austin Grand Prix or U.S. Grand Prix, um, I was checking out the Aston Martin merch, and they have one of my favorite merch lineups. I mean, like I said, the green is just gorgeous, and their merch probably felt the highest quality of any of the teams, like on the whole, like that merch that I bought, I was so tempted to buy it. But that merch was so expensive that I just decided to be a little bit more frugal and pass. And I had already spent way too much money that weekend. And so I decided to pass on it. But I will get it in the future. I mean, their team polos are really, like, crisp. The material feels great. It just feels like a high-quality garment. And I'm I'm the type of dude, I like buying high-quality stuff. Like, people say, like, you can call it materialistic, whatever. Like, I'm the type of person, I like to buy something once and keep it for years and years and years on end. I don't want to have to buy something cheap and then have to replace it within six months to a year or even within three years. Like a lot of the clothing pieces that I have and shoes and tech and stuff like that I've had for five plus years and it's still holding up like brand new. So yeah, shout out like Hugo Boss. They make beautiful clothing items and yeah just the fact that their partnership with Aston has created a really high quality level of merchandise for the team is why I can kind of really appreciate that partnership moving on McLaren now we're getting to the top teams a lot of my favorites are on here um OKX for McLaren that's their title sponsor. Uh, believe they're some sort of web design company or web integration company. I'm not too familiar with their history, but I think their logo is pretty cool. And McLaren actually don't have as many sponsors as I originally thought, or at least not ones that I kind of recognize. Um, but I did like the OKX livery in, I believe it was Singapore last year, where they kind of integrated the pink and like the digital design on the car. I thought that was really cool. So yeah, OKX was number three for McLaren. Number two, Monster. For no other reason than the fact that Monster has a huge history in motorsport and the fact that McLaren stole them from Mercedes. And it's kind of weird because Mercedes is still, or Monster is still continuing their partnership with Lewis as an individual, but they don't sponsor Mercedes anymore. And Monster has been a huge part of Mercedes. I mean, they're all over the helmets. Uh, they've been a lot, a big integration on the car before, but McLaren said, hey, snag, I need that. So I respect that. I respect the poaching. And number one is Google Chrome. 
the chrome livery this past year at the um the british grand prix was crazy and i just like the cool stuff that they do i mean the the collaboration with lando's helmet when he had the all chrome with the google chrome logo on the top that shit was cool and they really mclaren has really stepped it up with how they've integrated the sponsors with the i believe that was 2022 when they had like the digital or was that 2020 or was that this past year i can't remember but they had like a digital screen on like the chassis of the car where it could change sponsorship logo so it would like alternate from like android to chrome to google to whatever and i just thought that was cool and i believe chrome had a big part in in designing that and integrating that into the car so that's why kind of why they took the top spot for me for mclaren uh number oh that's it for mclaren so moving on to ferrari which the most iconic team on the grid. I mean, they're the Cowboys of F1. Uh, number three is AWS, Amazon's cloud service provider. And for no other reason than that, AWS has done major things in specifically sports. I mean, they're partnered with the NFL as well. They partner with F1 as a brand, integrating all their graphics and analytics and these crazy stats. And don't get me wrong, some of the graphics be like, what the hell does that even mean? But it's cool to kind of see that integration and the fact that they've touched so many different companies and that almost every major company in the world is using AWS as a cloud service. So I think that that's pretty cool how they've integrated that um, as a part of their brand and partnering with Ferrari. Uh, number two, Richard Mill. If I butchered that name again, please forgive me. I'm just an American. But one of my favorite watchmakers out there, uh, they make insane pieces uh, completely out of my tax bracket. I mean, them watches cost more than my entire life. But some of my favorite timepieces of all time, I mean, like the the all sapphire one, crystal one, that like the blue one that, that Jay-Z has. And I think a couple other people have. Um, I'm trying to think the orange McLaren exclusive. They also partnered with McLaren, but I didn't want to put them on the list twice. But the McLaren collaboration that Lando has, Charles and Carlos both had like this really thin one that for that they collabed with with Ferrari. And that one was pretty cool. It's like the thinnest watch of all time or some shit like that. But yeah, Richard Mill just makes some insane pieces. That's what you call an investment piece. I mean, you're spending six figures on a watch. <laughs> is just absolutely nuts but yeah i kind of just for that reason rock with with richard mill and i think that their design is just crazy i mean the thing is damn huge which i don't love i don't have the biggest wrist so even if i could afford it i don't think it would look good on me but i'd probably wear the goddamn thing anyway so yeah and number one i don't think this is going to come as a surprise to anybody it's shell that's an iconic partnership between Ferrari and Shell. I mean, that is Ferrari's original partner. Like, they just go hand in hand. I miss UPS. UPS was a big sponsor of Ferrari, but, I mean, Shell is just that company. Like, when you think Ferrari, you think Shell. They're just, it's everywhere. And, yeah, that pairing just, it just goes together like butter and bread, baby. All right, moving on to Mercedes. At number three, IWC watchmaker. 
I'm not a huge fan of their watches per se, but they have a lot of pieces that I like. I mean, their big pilot is pretty cool. Um, but Mercedes, again, I don't have too much history with a lot of their uh, companies. I know Patronus is cool um, with the uh, the teal and how it's integrated with the black and the silver in the past. And Enios is, I like how they integrated that on like the airbox of the car with the red, the touch of red, but it, it clashes just a little bit. That's kind of the flip side of my Valvoline argument where the clashing color doesn't really work, in my opinion, with the Enios, which is why they didn't make the list. But uh, IWC, again, a huge watch fan for me. I wouldn't say huge, but entry level watch fan for me. And I think they make some really cool pieces. Some of their collabs with like Lewis in the past and Mercedes in the past have produced some really nice pieces. Uh, number two is OZ Racing. It's their wheel manufacturers. And I mean, OZ has produced some of the coolest and most iconic street wheels of all time. So for that reason, they make my list. And number one is CrowdStrike. Tech company. Love their logo. Um, I like how what they've done in collaboration with Mercedes. So that's pretty simple. I don't really have too many, too much history and meaning behind why I chose them. And for our constructors champion, woohoo, Red Bull. Let's get into, let's get into it. Um, number three is Cash App. So for no other reason other than the fact that I use Cash App all the time and I only trying to get to this money, this money on. So Cash App makes my top or my number three spot. Number two is Sparko for the same reason why I put OZ Racing, the same reason why I put Alpine Stars. They are an iconic motorsports collaborator. Um, Sparko, their steering wheels, their seats, um, their race equipment, like clothing and stuff like that. It's just an iconic brand. And they're not a huge sponsor of Red Bull. They're not one of the top guys, but one of the companies that I really fuck with the most. And number one, another watch manufacturer is Tag Heuer. Not a huge fan of Tag Heuer watches and their design. They have a couple pieces that I really like. Um, but they're probably my favorite uh, sponsor of Red Bulls. I'm not a huge. They're kind of all over the place as far as sponsors. I guess Red Bull themselves would kind of be a sponsor, but I don't drink Red Bull. Um, I just think that it tastes like gasoline, and not that I really know what gasoline tastes like, but in my head, I think that gasoline would taste like how Red Bull tastes. But Tag Heuer make my number one spot. I do miss the Aston Martin Red Bull racing. I think that was cool seeing the Aston Martin logo across the rear wing and seeing like the Aston Martin collab liveries and stuff like that was a really cool experience uh the infinity days are really cool with red bull um when they were still sponsored by reno or being engine supplied by reno and if you don't know that infinity and like nissan are under the reno umbrella basically which is why they integrated that but yeah that kind of wraps up my uh sponsor segment just wanted to kind of give you guys a rundown. Um, let me know what you guys think, what your favorite sponsors are, companies that you would like to see sponsor team. I think that Nike or Jordan, I'm surprised that they haven't 
gotten involved in sponsoring a team yet, especially a team like Haas with that American connection. But who knows what comes in the future. Um, in other news, uh, Total Wolf has extended his contract for three years with Mercedes, which is shocking but not at the same time for me. I didn't necessarily expect Toto to be extended, especially not for three years. Uh, that would put him into, what, 2027 or 2028. I'm sorry. I think it, the extension begins at the end of 2024. And somebody pointed out on Twitter the fact that for him to be extended for that amount of time period must mean that they got some big shit in the works so that the W15, which is going to be 2024's car, is going to be quick. And I have my fingers crossed that it will be, but I'm not holding my breath. Like I think I've said in the past numerous amounts of times, we're just going to have to wait and see. But it does give me hope that he's been extended because why would you extend somebody if they weren't doing a good job? And Mercedes has been on the slide for the past two years and they're slipping. And Toto is a big reason for that. I love Toto, but I do have critiques for Toto and the fact that he just kind of just, I don't really know. Like he, when he comes on the radio and is like, trying to motivate the drivers or talking to the drivers in the middle of the race. It's like, bro, just, just no one wants to hear that shit from you, bro. And it, it was funny at first. And he, don't get me wrong. He has the funny moments and viral moments, like the no Mikey, no. And the, like in the driver's vibe when he was like, I have it printed out, like all of that shit. It's funny, but like, is it conducive to winning? And it used to be, he used to be one of these figures of stature and respect and winning. And he's kind of become like a meme of himself in a sense, he doesn't go to all the races. Um, he's a big wig in Mercedes. Like he owns like a chunk of like the actual Mercedes brand and he's like stupid wealthy. So he's not one of these guys who's just the team principal and is just like associated with racing, which gives me a little bit of reason for pause. And Mercedes used to be like this well-oiled machine where they like felt kind of like not human where they just like they get the strategy every strategy call right they get the car right every single year the engine is reliable like it just felt like everything were like all the cogs in the machine were well oiled and they just worked the way that they were supposed to every single time and now it just doesn't feel that way it just feels like you see him spazzing and slamming keyboards and headphones left and right and i just i really am worried for the future and hoping that he kind of returns to that well-oiled machine by the book. We make strategy calls. We stick to it. This indecisiveness that has seemed to creep in to the Mercedes team, I think trickles down from him and he just doesn't have that same stature and I guess aura that he used to have in the past. But we'll have to see. I think a uh, three-year extension is, is pretty good. It's long, but it's not long enough to where we can't get out of it. And I think that's more so what it says. I think 
five plus means that we're dedicated to you for a very long time. Anything less than three is that you have to prove yourself. And right in that sweet spot at the three is that, okay, we're giving you enough time to develop, but just know we will get rid of your ass. So, yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's it for, for Toto. Um, Zach Brown came out and said that he loves the budget cap and that he believes that the budget cap has done wonders to improve racing and bring the field closer together, um, which I can agree with in some aspects. I think that as a whole, yes, the field is closer together. And one thing that kind of lets me know that is the fact that cars don't really get lapped the way that they used to in years past like i think about 2021 and that lewis and max would lap like half the field like they would be lapping up until like the points paying positions and they'd be lapping up to like p12 and you're like what and now granted that year those two guys were just on a completely different level it wasn't like perez and botas were also lapping half the field but at the same time the fact that teams sometimes don't get lapped at all in a race lets me know that the field is a little bit closer together. Now, there are pockets, I would call them. So there's Red Bull at the top, and then there's a pocket of two or three teams where you have your Ferrari, your Mercedes, your Aston, and McLaren. I guess that would be four, but like four teams that are fighting for all fighting for second best. So one any given weekend, Ferrari or Aston or Mercedes or McLaren might be the number two team. And then you have another pocket of like your midfield teams where you have like your Alpines and um like your Williams of last year. And then you have like another pocket of like the back markers where on any given weekend, Haas, Alpha Tauri or um, Alfa Romeo are going to be the slowest on any given weekend. So overall, yes, I think the field is closer together, but I do think that there are still pretty big gaps in from like pocket to pocket basically. And so the hard part is bridging those gaps to where we feel like anybody, any of three or four teams could win a race on any given weekend. That's really what we're here to see. Um, yeah, just no, nothing major about that. That's kind of just what I wanted to touch on. Um, there's been debates about the cost cap and how much it's improved racing, if it's improved it at all. And I really only think it's limited the top teams. It hasn't really helped the teams on the bottom because they're not spending up to the cost cap. They're not hitting that ceiling every year. The top teams are hitting that cost cap ceiling every single year. But that doesn't necessarily apply to like the midfield and the lower level teams just because they don't have the financial backing to be able to reach those caps. Speaking of domination, Natalie Pinkham from uh, Sky F1 has came out and criticized basically the fans' view of being critical about one driver dominating. So it's no like no stranger that fans are critical of dominance, and I don't think that's an F1 exclusive thing. I think it's a sport exclusive thing. I mean, obviously we've seen it with the Warriors. In the NBA, we've seen it with the Cowboys, the Patriots, in the NFL, 
when they dominated, everybody hated them. We see it at MLB with the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers. When they have their dominant periods, everybody hates them. I think that's just a sport thing. It's easy to hate. Like, they're an easy target. It's easy to hate who's at the top because people genuine, generally like to root for the underdog. So I can't agree with what she's saying in the fact that we don't need to be criticizing Max for being fast or criticizing Red Bull for producing a fast car. But I do think there needs to be a level of understanding as to why fans don't like it, just because it's not fun for the sport. It's not fun when Max goes out and wins 19 of 22 races in a season, when you wake up every Sunday morning and you watch it because you love the sport, but you already know the end result. And so it kind of just takes the thrill out of it. And that's really all that we're searching for as fans is the thrill and that excitement and getting up every Sunday morning. You're like, shit, who's going to be fast today? Or Saturday morning before qualifying, who's going to get pole today? It's that anticipation, that buildup that everybody's searching for. So I can agree with her in the fact that, no, we don't need to push this like ill will on Max or on Red Bull just because of the fact that they're fast. If you have critiques for other reasons, then so be it. But I do think that we need to appreciate greatness. But greatness never gets appreciated until after the fact. So nobody ever appreciates the Michael Jordans, the LeBron Jameses, the Tom Brady's, the Peyton Mannings, um, the Ken Griffey's, the Hank Aaron's, the Sammy Sosa's, like just across the board, the Steph Curry's, like the Lewis Hamilton's, the Vettel's, the Prost, the Senna's. Um, nobody appreciated the Schumachers. Nobody appreciates them until after the fact. When Schumacher was dominating, everybody hated him. When, unless you were a Ferrari fan or you were a Schumacher-specific fan, everybody else pretty much for the most part hated him. Unless you were a Senna fan, people hated him. Unless you were a Prost fan, people hated him. If you're not a Lewis fan, people still hate him. If you, if Vettel, Sebastian Vettel is a perfect example uh, Fernando Alonso is a perfect example. When Fernando Alonso was winning races, people didn't like him. And now he's one of the most popular drivers on the grid. So I think that it just, it'll all come full circle. When Max is done racing or when he gets into his latter years, when he's not dominating anymore, um, people will grow a bigger appreciation for Max. And I think that's just all it comes down to. So it's just a cycle, man. Everybody goes through it. Max is young, a little bit arrogant. He's fast. And so he's the easy target, but it'll all come full circle. When we look back on it 10, 15 years from now, people will say, wow, Max was really, really incredible. And yeah, that's pretty much it. <sighs> Woo. That was a good one, man. I'm, I feel good about that. Uh, I really don't have anything like on the chest that I really want to get off. And yeah, let me know what you guys thought about this episode. Um, Again, follow me on all my socials at Naldo underscore underscore Formula One. Uh, there will be links everywhere to everything. And, yeah, I will see you guys on the next one. Have a blessed one. Peace.